I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 280. And you know what? Just because we forgot a couple of episodes ago, let's go ahead and do Patreoners. Thank you so much, Teresa D. from Washington. Kathy P. from California. Oh, I got Samantha P. from New York. And Tiffany C. from Oregon. Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. If you want an episode shout out and all the bonus content that they're getting on Patreon, well... You got to head over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. We're getting so close to our trip to Austin. I know. I'm so excited. We bought our tickets today to the ghost tour. Mm-hmm. Do you know what we're talking about? I hope you do, because we're going to Austin August 25th through the 27th for the True Crime Podcast Festival. Lots of creepsters have signed up, but also there's tons of different podcasts there. True Crime, Paranormal, all in between. And here's the thing. We're going to be doing a live show. And then after the live show, we're going to do Paranormal Bingo. There's going to be prizes. We're going to do a meetup on Friday night. We're going to do a ghost tour on Saturday night. And then Sunday, we're going to crash. Yes. Just kidding. We're still doing things on Sunday and coming home on Monday. Yes. <laughs> There's still time to get your tickets for the festival. Go to truecrimepodcastfestival.com. And for 15% off, you can use code APC. And if you can't make it to the festival, but you still want to be in, you know, our festivities, you don't have to go to the festival to be part of the meetup or the ghost tour. Y'all, we've already been trying to plan outfits. Um, It's going to be hot as Satan's ball sack. So it ain't going to be cute. Nobody's going to be cute, but it's going to be fun. Yes. You can guarantee that Donna and I are going to have little fans. She had one last year. I didn't understand her question when she ordered it. I was like, why do I need another desk fan? Because I already have one. And she had one and I didn't. So you bet your ass I'm going to have one this year. I shared though with you. You did. You did. Well, you know what? We're just going to jump right in this week. We ain't got shiz to talk about. But we will soon because my birthday's coming up and Austin's coming up. All the things. Remember last week when I was like, they thought he was the Gainesville Ripper And we were like, we don't know the Gainesville Ripper. And we're like, we probably should. Well, we did. We just didn't realize that we did. So I decided to do the story this week of the Gainesville Ripper. Well, great. Because I just rewatched that documentary. Shut the fuck up. I'm just joking. But I I had watched it when someone had commented. Yes, I saw your comment. Yes. And yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, I did watch that on Discovery Plus, but yeah, so I just had to fuck with you because I I saw your comment that you had watched the documentary and I was like, damn it. But I had already decided to do it this week. So this is the story of Danny Harold Rowling. And he has one of those last names that I want to make plural, but it's not like I want to make his last name Rowling's, but it isn't. So based on last week, we know that Danny Harold Rowling is the Gainesville Ripper. So I'm just going to start with his life and go through the story. He was born on May 26, 1954 to Claude and James, and he grew up in Shreveport, Louisiana. Basically, every serial killer in the history of serial killers had a really traumatic childhood. But what made it, I feel like, especially horrible is that Danny's father was a police officer. What was Danny to do growing up in this really terrible household? 
go to the cops. His dad's a cop and his dad's the one doing it to him. So I can't imagine that feeling of being trapped as a child. So child Danny, my heart breaks for you. Adult Danny, fuck all the way off. Yeah, yeah. There's certain podcasts that have like three and four parts to it. So if you want a really deep dive, by all means, please go listen to some of these podcasts. I was listening to Minds of Madness podcasts, the episode on Danny, and they were talking about how basically from the moment that Danny's father found out that his wife was pregnant, he did not want Danny and abused Danny from the start. And apparently Danny had a younger brother named Kevin who was also abused really badly. And the abuse happened at a very, very young age. Even the way Danny crawled was something that set James off and he would beat Danny for like he crawled with like one leg out and would kind of scoot instead of what you would think of as like a traditional like quadruped crawl. I feel like a lot of kids do that now. I'm I'm sure it's something developmentally where yeah. they probably have a reflex that hasn't integrated and so they can't get in that quadruped position. Yeah. I.e. me watching a YouTube family. <laughs> That's how I and It's like all these people. One kid. <laughs> Now, Danny's mom, Claudia, did try to get away. Okay, you did not say Claudia. What I say? The first time. You said Claude. Because <laughs> I was thinking, huh, I didn't know women's, women were called Qua- uh, Claude. Well, she's not. Okay, Claudia. Oops. Well, Claudia tried to get away multiple times, but in typical abuser fashion, James would beg her to come back. I'm going to change all, you know, all the typical things that would make someone come back because it's also the freaking 50s. And it's really freaking hard to be a single mom in the 50s with two kids. Also, her husband's a cop. True. Danny, of course, turned to drugs and alcohol and all the things to cope. When he was 14, he started some um, like voyeur activities where he was peeping in on his neighbor's. Danny tried to join the Air Force to get away from his life and to get a little control, but he was eventually discharged from the military because of drug use. He married a woman when he was 23, but that didn't last very long because he was caught being a peeping Tom and she was like, um, absolutely not. I am out. And she divorced him. Danny spent a lot of time in and out of prison for things like theft, even rapes, because he definitely escalated very, very quickly. And again, I'm kind of I'm cutting down a lot of the background story because there's literally so much to this story. So after Danny was kicked out of the Air Force, he went back to Shreveport. So picture we're in November of 1989 in Shreveport, Louisiana. There was a 24 year old named Julie Grissom who had caught Danny's eye. She didn't live far from where he was staying, and she lived with her dad, Tom, who was 55, and her eight-year-old nephew, Sean. Now, he had been been a creepy voyeur watching her and was starting to get infatuated with her. One night, he broke into their house, and he murdered Julie, Sean, and Tom. Julie's body was found in a way that is very similar to his later crimes in Gainesville, her hair was fanned out on her pillow. Picture like a um, a princess, like a Disney princess. You know how they would like lay their hair in movies yeah. and stuff. She had bite marks all over her body. 
Julie had been raped and they found residue of duct tape that had been used to bind her. So it was just residue left. And then vinegar had been used to clean her body, I'm sure, in hopes of trying to destroy any evidence. And you'll see that with his later crimes where he used like soap to clean their bodies. I don't know why every time I heard soap, I immediately assumed he used Dawn, but I don't know why. That's so funny because so did I. Really? Yeah. But like the bar of soap Dawn. I mean, no, sorry. Dove is what I was. I was like, they don't make bar of soap Dawn. No, Dove. We clearly don't clean enough. (laughs) (laughs) Julie was also found in a very explicit way, like with the way her legs were positioned. So after this happened, people had no idea who brutally murdered this family. So this story kind of right there just abruptly stops. It will come back around. But right now it's like basically becomes a cold case. In May of 1990, though, Danny pretty much had enough with his dad. They got into a huge fight and both pulled guns and Danny ended up shooting his dad. What the actual fuck? Yeah, he lived. His dad lived. He lost an eye and an ear, and he was shot in the stomach, too. Okay. I was like, wait, how did he lose (laughs) that but was shot in the stomach? No, he did both. Okay. And it's like nothing ever came of that either. It's like these huge crimes that he commits, and it's like, yeah, that's okay. It's fine. You know, it's he rapes someone and doesn't go to prison for very long or, you know, all that. It's like, why did he not have longer in prison? But I guess his dad was like, I'm not pressing charges or whatever. And so nothing came of that. But he didn't stick around. That's when he left and went to Florida. He started using a new identity by the name of Michael Kennedy Jr. All right. So we're jumping to Danny's time in Gainesville, Florida. Gainesville is a college town that houses the University of Florida, which is a very big school in the southeast So it's August of 1990. Students are coming in, starting to move in the dorms. And we're talking about two students in particular, Sonia Larson and Christina, who went by Christy Powell. Both of those girls were coming in as freshmen to the University of Florida. They had met each other during the summer and they were like, oh, my gosh, we're going to be lifelong friends. Let's be roommates. They're living in the dorms? No, they couldn't get a dorm. They had to get an apartment off campus. Okay, I was like, how in the world did they find each other in summer and got a dorm together? They didn't. Okay, 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 okay. So the two had moved in together. And unfortunately, on August 24th is when they had caught the eye of Danny. Christy had been sleeping downstairs on the couch I heard on one podcast that all of her furniture hadn't been delivered yet. So she was sleeping on the couch and Sonia was upstairs in her room. Danny used a screwdriver to break into the apartment. And while they were asleep, he walked in and stood over Christy while she slept on the couch. Christy didn't wake up. So he made his way upstairs to Sonia. The first thing he did was tape Sonia's mouth shut and then stabbed her to death with a K-bar knife. After he killed Sonia, he went back downstairs to Christy. Christy had no idea that he was ever even in the apartment when he was killing Sonia. He gets back downstairs. She's still asleep and she wakes up to him taping her mouth shut. 
Danny forced Christy to flip over onto her stomach, and then he raped her. While she was on her stomach, he stabbed her five times in the back. Oh, my gosh. He did what happened in Shreveport. He positioned the bodies pretty explicitly, fanned out the hair, took a shower before he left the apartment. Like, he took his time in that apartment. Yeah. So, did he rape Sonia? No. From everything I saw, he didn't. He only raped Christy. So, at this point, Danny was living in the woods in a tent. After he had spent all night in that apartment, taking his sweet time, taking a shower and all of that, he goes back to his tent to sleep. But as soon as he wakes up on August 25th, he breaks into the apartment of 18-year-old Krista Hoyt. So these aren't long, like, stalking cases. He sees and then he... And then it's more impulse. Yeah. Kind of. I think he he's watching in on them longer than you think. Okay. And a lot of his victims looked similar. They were petite, brown hair, even in Shreveport. Like, they're all disappearance. And which, interestingly enough, Christina Hoyt looks very similar to his ex-wife. He had a very clear victimology. Yeah. Krista Hoyt wanted to be a police officer. She was actually working at the sheriff's office while she was going to school. And her not showing up to work is how they ended up finding her body. So he broke into her apartment in the same way that he broke in to Sonia and Christie's apartment. He used a screwdriver to pry open the sliding glass door. But when he went into her apartment, she wasn't home. So he stayed and waited for her to get home. As soon as she got there, he jumped, surprising her from behind and put her in a chokehold. As soon as he gained control of the situation, he used the duct tape to cover her mouth, bind her wrists together. And then just like he did with Christy, he put her on her stomach in order to rape her. He stabbed her in the back, rupturing her aorta. This is pretty gruesome. So if you need to skip forward, please do so. After he stabbed her in the back, he flipped her over and sliced her stomach open, like from her breastbone to her pubic bone. Oh, my God. So he spent a little while in this apartment, too. But when he got back to his campsite, he realized that he couldn't find his wallet. So he was like, shit, did I leave it at the crime scene? So he actually went back to her apartment. And when he was there, honestly, I don't even know if he found his wallet there or not. But when he went back, that's when he decided to decapitate her. Oh, my God. So after he did that, he posed her body like sitting on the edge of the like, like in a sitting position on the edge of her bed. And then literally, this is so gross, y'all, took her head and put it like on a bookshelf facing her. Uh uh-uh. In one of the articles, I saw that when he came back, he raped her again. So that's why I'm not sure if. In the first with Sonia and Christy, if maybe he went back upstairs and did rape Sonia, I'm not sure because I saw in articles where he would go back and and mutilate a dead body. Oh, gosh. The fucking twisted mind to decapitate her, stage her, and then have her head looking at her. Like, I have no words. And it was specifically to instill, like, fear and shock to whomever found her. Mm Mm-hmm. So let's back up and go back to the girl's apartment, to Sonia and Christy. 
when Sonia hadn't talked to her mom, because remember, it's the 90s. They, I don't even think, I think I, they didn't even have their phones hooked up in their apartment yet. So they were having to go to pay phones to call their parents to be like, hey, we're here. Hey, furniture's here. You know, that kind of thing. And when they hadn't heard from her, they were like, something's up. We got to go check it out. In one of the podcasts I listened to, because Christy's furniture hadn't been delivered, like they were supposed to be coming to deliver it. So they were there like knock, 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 and nobody was answering. So they were like, something's really wrong. So they called the landlord to be like, can you let us in? Like, we feel we feel like something's wrong. So the landlord called the police to be there when he opened the door. Because again, this is at the very beginning of this. So this isn't, there's no fear yet. There's no anything. This is just two girls, freshmen in college who nobody can get a hold of. So let's just check on the apartment. As soon as they entered into the apartment, they could see the torture and what all had gone on in that apartment. The apartment employee that let them in could not take what he saw. He literally ran out of the door screaming, oh my God, and immediately threw up. Oh, I don't blame him. The awful part is, though, is this was in front of their parents. So while they were investigating the apartment, they could tell that the door had been broken in with the screwdriver like wedged into the door jam. And how I mentioned this earlier, one of the bodies had been cleaned with soap. The duct tape had been taken off, but there was still residue from the duct tape. So that same night that the girls' bodies were found, that's when Krista didn't show up to work and they sent someone like a sheriff to go check on her. When the sheriff got there, they knocked on the door. Nobody answered. But where her bedroom was, the blinds were up just a little bit. So the sheriff literally like laid on his stomach to kind of look in that part of the blinds and could see her body positioned just sitting there. So this struck fear into Gainesville. Like you have all of these kids just getting to school. School's just starting. I mean, this is a very large university. And word traveled fast about the murders. So people were absolutely terrified. They opened the dorms up so people could sleep together in groups because it was all university students that were being attacked. Some students even withdrew from the university. Like the university said, if you need to leave and go home, you will not be penalized. Like do what you have to do to be safe. So everyone, even though it was so quick, people were on alert because this was three brutal murders that were very clearly connected. So Tracy Pauls and Manny Taboda were friends who lived together. They'd been really good friends since high school. They were 23 years old and Manny wanted to be an architect and Tracy wanted to be an attorney. Here's the thing. Tracy knew about the attacks. Well, one, because duh, it was all over the news. But a friend had actually called her to tell her about it. And she was like, you know, I'm not I'm not worried. I got Manny because Manny was a strapping man. You know, he was tall, strong. And she was like, you know, Manny and I are fine. We're fine. Don't worry about us. Unfortunately, Tracy didn't know that they would be the next victims of this serial killer. So on August 27th, Danny Rowling broke into their apartment the same way using a screwdriver through a sliding glass door. I feel like he had to have been watching them a little bit, too, because he went straight to Manny's room. 
Manny put up a strong fight, but eventually Danny did kill him by stabbing him multiple stab wounds. Now, Tracy heard this commotion and she kind of goes out to see like what's going on when she sees Danny. So she takes off running and tries to hide. Danny breaks through the door and tapes up her mouth and her wrists and cut her clothing off just like he did with all the other victims. He raped her and then flipped her over on her stomach and stabbed her three times in the back. But before he duct taped her, she asked, are you the one? And he said, yeah, I'm the one. Just like in the other cases, Tracy had been posed and soap was used to wash her body. She had the same uh, residue from the tape on her wrist and mouth as the other victims. This case is what the movie Scream is loosely based off of. And, you know, in the movie, you remember how intense the media was around the case? That's what this was based off of, too. Oh, wow. So think about, I mean, how ruthless and all of that, like, the media was everywhere. This story had blown up. Yeah. So everyone was trying to figure out who is this killer that they've dubbed the Gainesville Ripper. Not long after Krista was murdered, Danny actually robbed a bank. Now, that was his way of making ends meet while he was essentially homeless, living in a tent. But when he robbed the bank, a teller had put in one of those red dye packets in the money bag. So not long after this happened, a police officer saw Danny walking and was like, wait, he looks, hold on, did you just do this bank robbery? And he started chasing him and chased him into this wooded area. Well, he ended up finding, because of dogs, they found the campsite. Now, at this point, Danny's long gone. Danny is going off to God knows where because he's trying to hide out. Like, he ends up going to, like, Sarasota. I mean, all these different places he ends up traveling, trying to to get away from the law. Hence why they thought he could have done the murder in Sarasota. Right. Well, they really had no idea that he was who did this when the police officer was thinking that he was involved in the bank robbery. Oh, okay. They didn't know that that was even connected. Yeah. But they found his campsite, and at the campsite, they found the bag of money with the red dye. They were like, oh, hell yeah, we, like, it paid her, literally. I always thought it was blue dye. Well, I'm sure it's different for different, uh, I don't know. I'm sure not everybody has blue. Oh, I, literally, that's what I thought it was. But at the campsite, they found, like I said, the money. They found a screwdriver. They found some gloves, a gun, and a cassette player. Now, police did not listen to this tape until way long later, like months later. Why? That would be the first thing I do. Well, not everybody's as nosy as you. And true. Had they listened to it right then, they would have known that they had found the Gainesville Ripper because he confesses to the crimes. What? Yeah, he basically just like tells his story. See, this is why it pays to be nosy. That's just kind of an aside because they, again, they don't know what they have when they found it. So the police are still investigating who is the Gainesville Ripper. And that's when they hone in on a guy named Ed Humphrey. Now, Ed Humphrey literally breaks my fucking heart. He has schizophrenia and he wasn't taking his medicine. So he was having some pretty erratic behaviors where he would like disappear and he would go and hide in the woods. 
I've heard a couple of different things where he lived in the same apartment complex and he lived across the street, but he lived in very close proximity to some of the victims. He had even been at a party like the night before the murder with some of the victims. So he had a lot of connections, but it was like all circumstantial. It did literally prove nothing. It just proved proximity. But because he was schizophrenic and was not on his medicine, he had these behaviors that made people suspicious. And then he got arrested because he hit his grandmother. Now, his grandmother begged for the charges to be dropped, but police really thought he was the Gainesville Ripper. So they arrested him for attacking his grandmother on like a million dollar bond. Oh, my God. Which is like... I don't know, exponentially higher than you normally would have for that. Yeah. And then they were recommending the max of like 22 months in prison. And the newspapers and all ran with it. You know, his name on the front, like he's a suspect. And when you look at him, he is probably what people quote picture of a serial killer. He had been in a fire, so he had a lot of scars on his face. When he was medicated with, I think it was, it was on lithium. For his schizophrenia and all, you know, he was very like medicated looking. And so he was what people wanted to think a serial killer looked like. Right. So people were immediately bought in on poor Ed. Yeah. Well, and two, if people are so scared that there is a killer, well, they know there's a killer, but that it, the killer's still on the loose. When people say, here's a suspect, mm-hmm. they jump at it and they're like, yep, great, because now we can be safe. Absolutely. But there was literally no evidence to connect him to the murder. And there was some blood that was left at the scene and it was type B and Ed was type A. So there was as much like physical evidence as they could have because DNA was very much still in its infancy. So even with the technology that they did have, they were able to prove that it wasn't Ed. Now, remember, this made not only local news, this made national news. And that's when a woman goes, damn, this really sounds like the case of Julie Grissom here in Shreveport. So she calls and is like, hey, I really think you need to look into this case. These two seem very similar. And basically, that's exactly what happens. And there's a long story short, because like he... Danny's on the run, robbing things. Robbing things. God bless. (laughs) Like he robs gas stations and he tries to rob all the things to try to make ends meet. He ends up like still in a car. And that's how he ends up being caught is it's like a police chase while he's in custody from them arresting him from the robberies and running from the police and all of that. That's when they go, wow, we've got all this other stuff. We think he did this bank robbery. Look at all this shit we have on him. The gun, the screwdriver. What's this cassette player say? And that's when they listened to what he actually had to say. He said his full name. He said, you know, he had a life that had gone down the wrong road and blah, 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 blah. He's a douchebag. We don't care. And they realized that he was the Gainesville Ripper. On November 15th of 1991, he gets charged with five counts of first degree murder. He ends up pleading guilty to all of the murders, but he doesn't make a deal. He just pleads guilty to them. So it ends up going to a jury to like help determine his sentencing. And they voted for the death penalty, which is exactly what he got. The death penalty. 
I will say, though, they did do like a bit of a trial for the sentencing and his ex-wife was brought to testify and she testified that there was no weirdness between him and his dad, like their whole marriage. She didn't see any of that abuse and that Danny never told her about any of the abuse that he was claiming happened when he was a child. She did say, though, but you know what? There was a lot that was hidden from me that Danny's parents separated a lot because of, well, it was because of the abuse, but that they, you know, they had a lot of separations and that um, Danny's mom had a nervous breakdown at one point and they never told her any of that. So she's like, they did hide stuff from me, but I never saw any abuse and he never told me of any. But when they were together, he was older. Right. Not that much older, but yeah. I mean, in his 20s. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, he was really abused when he was younger. Right, but it was very toxic. The, I mean, he they got in an argument and he shot his Yeah, ass. Like, yeah. It didn't just stop because he turned 18. It's not like, you're 18, cool, we're going to get along now. It, no, it wasn't like that. They still argued and his dad was terrible. Yeah. Like, I heard on that uh, Minds of Madness that when all of this trial stuff was going on, his mom, who was dying of terminal liver cancer was watching the news coverage of his sentencing trial and his dad came in and saw it and got so pissed that she was watching that that he literally pulled out like her drain lines and stuff as like her punishment what the fuck right so i mean he was a shitty human yeah have you ever seen the exorcist three no okay me neither but allegedly people think that some of danny's defense came from that movie and he had seen that movie like right before he started the killings because part of his defense was that he had disassociative identity disorder and that he had three personalities he had danny who was like the nice guy then he had and which is danny spelled backwards Mm. and then he had gemini but the demon on Exorcist 3 is supposedly named Gemini. Oh. Everybody who's seen that is like, yes, God. <laughs> and that that demon spoke a language nobody knew and spoke English backwards. Oh. I.e. Danny spelled backwards. Yeah. So people are like, we don't fucking buy it. You you literally ripped that. What are you, SVU? You lip, ripped that from the headlines? Like you stole that from that movie. So people didn't believe him. Yeah. He was diagnosed with different personality disorders but i don't think officially he was ever diagnosed with did but he was eventually sentenced to death and was put to death by lethal injection on october 25th of 2006 but right before he like when he was walking in to the execution chamber he handed the pastor that was with him a note and on that note he confessed to killing william grissom Julie Grissom and Sean Grissom in Shreveport. Oh my gosh. So that's the only way we know for sure that he did those. Wow. Obviously, Gainesville was incredibly traumatized by this, but there's an area where new students like paint the wall with graffiti and all of that. Um, our university does that too, where you get to paint the Eagle Walk and all. Yeah. So they have that, but there's this one section that has all of their names 
written on it and like that we're going to remember them. And it's this one section that never gets painted over that they've kept it up with paint, you know, over the years so that it stays in good condition. And it's essentially in a memorial wall to the victims and it's never been covered up. Wow. And it's been over 30 years. Wow. When did Scream come out? It was like 1996, I think. I wonder, did he know that it was based off of him? Maybe. I hope not. I don't think he really looked for the notoriety that a lot of them did, that a lot of them do. But, I mean, he wouldn't have been mad at it either. Right. At least he did confess at the end. Yeah. He was so brutal. Beyond brutal and a lot of people really believed it was ed too because after ed was arrested the killing stopped that's because danny was like on the run and in and out of prisons too for all of his robberies and all of that so it was just a coincidence yeah people don't think there can be a coincidence in murder but there was he just happened to live near him he just happened to go to some of the parties and he just happened to have schizophrenia with some behaviors that made people question him and on a positive note he did end up like getting back on his medicine and eventually graduated with a degree from uf that's awesome all right picture it west virginia september 12th 1952 it was 7 p.m and there were four young boys playing around on the school's property like playing football it was brothers Eddie and Freddie May and their friends Tommy Heyer and Neil Nunley. And they were all like preteens. But I was like, at that age, 7 p.m., that was prime time for TV. Like literally prime time. I never stayed out that late if TV was on because you couldn't record anything. It was the 50s. They had like two channels. True. They weren't like watching TGIF. <laughs> True. Oh, never mind. Maybe I would have been out then making mud pies or some shit. Well, they were playing football and they saw something falling from the sky and it looked like a fireball. So the boys stopped in their tracks and they watched this weird ball of light just streak through the sky. And then it seemed to land on a hilltop of a farm nearby. And that was called the Bailey Fisher Farm. So the boys were all questioning each other, you know, did you see what I saw? You know, all of that. And they're like, yeah, we saw something. So the May brothers were like, wait, before we go and see what it is, let's go get our mom. And so they did. Her name was Kathleen May. And she was like, "Uh, okay, sure, you saw that. But then when she looked off to the hilltop, she did see something glowing, something that wasn't normal. So she was like, all right, let's go. But she wanted one other person to come, and that was their neighbor. And I did see that it might have been a cousin, too, you know, but it was their neighbor, Gene Lemon, who was 17. So he was the eldest of the boys there, but he was also in the National Guard. So Kathleen was like, okay, he can deal with this. He's going to know what to do. He could be our protector. Oh, and also Gene's dog went with them, and he was like, y'all ain't leaving me by myself. I'm going to go with y'all. So the Scooby-Doo gang went to explore (laughs) what was over at the hilltop. And the dog ran ahead of them when they got closer. And he started barking, you know, trying to alert them of something. But soon after, he came back out of the darkness and he had his tail between his legs. So it was like he had seen some shit. Well, they all continued on, but now even more on edge. When they got closer to the site... They were overwhelmed with a terrible smell. 
so much that their eyes watered and their noses burned. There is this thick mist or fog in that area, and that's what was giving off that terrible smell. Neil said he saw a pulsating red light, and Gene thought he saw a pair of animal eyes looking at them. So Gene hurried and scanned the site with his flashlight. That's when he saw a 10-foot-tall man-like figure with orangish-red glowing eyes. But here's the thing. This figure had a round red face, but the top of his head was kind of pointy, and honestly, it made it look like he was like the king of spades or something. It looked like a spade shape. But also, it could have been a cape behind him that made that spade shape. They don't know, but everyone said it had that spade shape to its head. Now, some said it didn't have any arms, but Kathleen, the mom, was like, yes, it did, and they were kind of spindly and had claws. Another characteristic that wasn't unanimous was that the body seemed to have armor around it. Well, they all agreed that it had armor, but some said it was just very dark. Others said, no, 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 it was the color green. And the armor was kind of like a dress or a robe-type silhouette. Now, I know what you're thinking— They all saw this creature, but then they couldn't agree with what they saw. But it might have been because when they finally came face to face with the creature, they saw that it was emitting some kind of steam or smoke and like gas. And not to mention, I mean, you know, I probably don't believe this story, but eyewitness testimony doesn't fucking work. Right. And they also noted that even though it was just kind of floating in the air, There was this shrieking sound coming from it, but it was like kind of like a dog whistle or something, you know, where the tone was there, but it was just so weird because it didn't look like it should be making that noise. But then it moved towards them. And at that point, Gene, the one who, you know, was supposed to be able to handle the situation, he screamed and he threw the flashlight down. So they all ran back to the maze house. Which I don't blame them because I would have reacted just like Jean did and probably would have shit myself and fell while I was trying to run away. You're not wrong. Yeah. I mean, same. I definitely would have peed my pants. <laughs> anyway, when they arrived back home, Kathleen called the sheriff's station and reported what happened. However, when the police made it back to the site of the encounter, the only thing they could see out of the ordinary was that metallic odor in the air and even then it wasn't super strong so it was just like the lingering effect of it now there was a reporter who worked for the braxton democrat who was notified about this incident and he went to investigate the site but when he got there he saw two skid marks and i was like yeah in my drawers right but he meant that it looked like some kind of vehicle tracks but It didn't look like an actual vehicle, and they had this, quote, odd gummy deposit by them, which he believed to confirm that this was some sort of alien encounter. The reason he didn't think it was from just a random car was that this part of the land had not been able to be open to any through traffic for almost a year. And also, the trees were singed on the top, and some of the branches were broken in that area. So it could have been something that, you know, like, landed in that area. 
Now, I will say that there is a report saying that the tracks were from a resident in the area that had gotten wind of the encounter and he went up to check because he's nosy like me. But I don't know if that was ever completely verified that it happened or not. So I don't know. But okay. After that, there were two investigators from a group called Civilian Saucer Investigation. Seems legit. (laughs) Well, they did like work for the government. And they came to Flatwoods to see what they could find out. They interviewed the May family and Kathleen was like, you know, I had some oil substance on my dress that I was wearing that night. And they were like, "Uh, can we have it? Like, we'll return it, of course. And so she gave it to them. But Kathleen said they never did return it. Those bastards. Mm -hmm. Go back on your damn word. Right. Another thing about the May family and their friends, most of them had respiratory problems shortly after this. And, you know, they blamed it on that really thick, acidic, foul mist that they had encountered. Like it was that night and like a week after. Their throats were swollen. Their nose had a lot of irritation. Gene Lemon, he even had convulsions that night and he vomited all throughout that night of the incident. I mean, it sounds like me most of the time. (laughs) My nose be jacked up. I throw up pretty regularly. (laughs) Well, they all went to a doctor because what's going on? And he said they were all like experiencing symptoms of someone who had been exposed to like mustard gas. Your regular old general practitioners like, oh, mustard gas. Yep, mustard gas. Well, it was the 50s. Touche. So the two men... From the government, they also met with several different people who claimed to have witnessed something that was, you know, otherworldly. It was actually a week before the reported encounter when a mother and her 21-year-old daughter said they saw a creature and pretty much gave the same description. And they also mentioned that putrid odor that was emitted. And apparently it affected the daughter so badly that she was in the hospital for three weeks. Another eyewitness was a local farmer, and they basically said around the same time as the kids were seeing that fireball in the sky, their house shook violently, and the radio signal was cut for about 45 minutes. Another incident that seemed to share the similarities of the Flatwoods monster encounter was with a female named Audra Harper, because the Flatwoods monster is what they call this creature. Now, this was right before the infamous hilltop sighting as well, but she said that she was walking with a friend through the woods by her house. They were going to a store, and so they cut through the woods because, you know, who wants to walk all that way if you have a shortcut? Now, this was in the town of Heaters, which isn't very far from Flatwoods at all. But they never made it to the store because about half a mile into their trip, they noticed a ball of fire on one of the hills that they were passing. And at first, they didn't pay it any mind because they thought, oh, one of our neighbors is doing country shit, you know, whatever. <laughs> but that's when Aldra did a second take and she saw the fire was gone. But in its place was a very tall, dark silhouette of like a wide man-shaped figure. But the girls didn't do a third look. They hauled their ass back home. Their mama taught them not to look in the rearview mirror, too. Exactly. Now, a third incident was found by these two investigators, and it was the director of the Board of Education. 
And he said that he saw some kind of UFO flying saucer type deal around 6.30 a.m. the morning after the kids had their encounter. And on that same day that he saw the flying saucer, later that night, a married couple was driving through Strange Creek, which was like 20 miles from Flatwoods. And their car suddenly died. And of course, it's on like a desolate road. So George Snotowski, the husband, he tried to start the engine, but it was a no-go. And all of a sudden, George and his wife, Edith, saw a bright light fill the darkness, and they could make out like a very large man-like creature standing there. But they didn't say his head was round and red, but they described his head more reptilian. Anyway, so it dragged its hand across the hood of the car and watched them, and then it just walked off into the woods. Um, fuck that. Right? But the thing is, there is a very foul smell, that putrid smell that the boys claim that they had smelled. Could I say smell one more time? I don't know. But it was so bad that their 18-month-old son woke up from the smell and started crying, like bawling his eyes out. And I was like, you know, those motherfuckers were probably driving around trying to get that kid asleep. Mm -hmm. And then that happened. But as soon as the creature had vanished into the woods, the car started up and the smell was no longer there. Now, this incident, the Flatwoods Monster incident up on that hilltop, was something that prompted the government to create a project that we know as Project Blue Book. And that's where the government collected all kinds of encounters, UFO sightings, you know, like thousands of them throughout the years. Now, there were some other sightings before this that had kind of got them like, you know, something might be going on here. But then this one kind of solidified Like, no, we're going to start something, which is why I said, no, those two people did work for the government. Yeah. Well, you know, just recently, did you see this where there's this like guy in the military who said that, yeah, the government has information on non-human activity since like the 30s. Yeah. But like, no, like this was in a like he is an Air Force intelligence officer. Yeah. Came out and's like, yeah, by the way. We've got this. And this is pretty recently. Yeah, there's lots of people like that. And as much as I don't like Joe Rogan, he does have really good UFO specialists and Air Force pilots and all of that about encounters. And if you like Joe Rogan, you go right ahead and like him. Okay, back to this encounter, though. A little bit later, Kathleen May said that she received a letter from the Pentagon. And they were like, oh, okay, so... There were four experimental rocket ships, and one went missing. And that's probably the one that your boy saw. Mm-hmm. It was having some oil trouble, so that might have been that oily substance on your dress. And there were two men inside, but they never said, like, oh, one of them you could have mistaken for this creature or anything. They just basically said, here's the official report. Please confirm that you agree with that statement. So no one has really ever been able to say is the Flatwoods monster a cryptid, an alien, a hoax, because it was only really seen that one time by the boys on the hilltop. And then other people had, you know, said, yes, I encountered something that looked like that, you know, all of that. But no one's ever seen it again. 
Some say it is indeed an alien and that when it reached our atmosphere, it couldn't handle it. And soon the ship it came in on and the body of the alien almost like evaporated because it was like not okay with our atmosphere, which would make sense on how, you know, like, you know, space, we can't just be out in space. Well, and it might be too soon to bring this up, but like the submarine that just went down by the Titanic, when it got like the the crack in the submarine, it was like instant for them too. So if it really is an alien, y'all know how I feel. I don't think that it's not true, but also don't think it's true, but I really do believe, but I don't believe y'all know how I feel. So it does stand to reason though, if they couldn't handle our atmosphere and something happened with the ship that it would just like implode on them. And then the alien didn't return home. So they were like, hey, let's not, we're not going back to that planet. And so that's why they haven't seen him again. Now, some astronomers have said no. This was just a meteor that had passed over Baltimore and made its way toward West Virginia. So that's the fireball that the kids saw, you know? And then they said everything else is probably just their own imagination. But the thing is, the meteor never like hit There is no proof that it ever made contact there in West Virginia or anything like that. So it could have been what they saw, but if that was just it, what would cause all of like the mist and like their symptoms and all of that? And all of them were prompted to draw what they saw, and it was all close to the same description. So I know that you're going to be like, well, they all could have said what they had said, but like it was so fucking random You know, you think aliens and you think big head, little body, black eyes that are huge. You know what I mean? Like shiny skin. This was so just random. That's not what I think of when I think of an alien. What do you think of an alien? Uh, Green and big head. Did you say big head? Yeah, I thought I said green, big head and big black eyes. Oh, wait. Yeah, that is what I think of. Just kidding. Okay. You said shiny skin? Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Okay. Okay. Wow. So everything you said, that is what I think of. <laughs> huh. Ignore me, bye. I told y'all she will argue for no reason. I don't mean to. I just think I'm right. But I have auditory processing disorders. <laughs> and so what I thought I heard isn't what I heard. Yeah. And then those same people are like, okay, but what about the smell and everything? And they're like, well, you know, there's some hot springs in that area of West Virginia. But I don't know, like. I feel like residents who have lived there would know the difference between like what is normal smells and then what's making their eyes water and their noses burn. Because like just living around here, we know where like chicken plants are and like, you know, that smell is coming up. Or like a paper mill. Yes. But like if I smelled that in Carrie's house, I'd be like, what's going on? This isn't normal. Even like well water stinks here. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm sure everywhere, but... Oh, that shit stinks. (laughs) But okay, you're going to love this theory. Oh, God. They say there is an owl theory. Oh, Jesus Christ. What in the fucking Peterson's happening here? (laughs) People said that it could have been a barn owl that was up in a tree. Like maybe the kids did see that meteor in the sky. And when they got there and their minds were racing because, oh, my God, we just saw this fireball in the sky. And then they saw this owl, but they thought it was a monster. And like it was an owl in a tree. So that's why it was taller. 
Now, remember the spade-shaped head? Well, the owls kind of have like a white heart-shaped face. So if you shined a light on it, you might mistake it for that. But the thing is, the barn owls don't get that big. You know, they said this thing was like 10 foot tall. And the husband and wife said it was at least seven foot tall. And I have seen that picture of that one owl that's like that human looking one. Yes. <laughs> yes. Don't like that. But that's where that tree comes into play. They say, yeah, it might have appeared that tall because it was in a dark tree. And maybe that's why they thought it was wearing armor like a dress because like the feathers were around it in the darkness. Also, if it was a mama owl and there is a baby nearby, that might be why it started shrieking and having that hissing sound and moving towards them. And the glowing eyes could have been just like the reflectiveness that animals have in their eyes. Like, obviously, I don't know the technical term, but we all know, like, when you try to get a cute picture of your dog and it flashes and their eyes look crazy. (laughs) Yeah. So it kind of sounds like, huh, yeah. But the guys later, the May brothers, they're like, it wasn't an owl. Like, we wish we would have never seen what we saw because people don't believe us, but it wasn't an owl. Like, we know the difference of that. Like, kind of don't insult our intelligence there. And also, if you take into account, like, the smell, like, what caused the smell that literally, like, had them sick. But also, the other couple that saw it and it, like, scraped its fingers along the hood, I don't see an owl doing that, you know? Not that. It's creepy as fuck. But the world may never know what the Flatwoods monster is, because like I said, that was the first and last time anyone ever saw the Flatwoods monster. But just a little side note, it does go by a couple of other names. So you might have heard it as the Green Monster or the Braxton County Monster. Or if you're like me and you love a nickname, Braxy. But the town really loved the Flatwoods monster like it kind of leaned into it. They ended up having a festival for a while, and now they have a museum dedicated to the Flatwoods monster. But, okay, I'm going to show you a picture. Oh, fuck. You know, this is when you get me. This is when I can't get on board with this train when you show me a picture every time. I'm like, cool, cool, nope, fake. Okay, here's the one. Donna. That looks like something out of Alice in Wonderland. That also looked like something I drew. But now, okay, if you said, hey, we saw this thing and you all came up with this when aliens were just becoming a thing, nothing looked like this. No, you're right about that. And I will say, if they all drew that, they were consistently weird, but... (laughs) Consistently weird. (laughs) New merch. (laughs) It is laughable when you see it. I mean, also, I would be screaming for the woods I don't know if I was screaming for the woods. No, I would be screaming and running for the woods if I saw this motherfucker. Oh, same. I talk big sitting behind this fucking microphone. If I saw any of this shit in real life, dead. <laughs> yeah, fainting goat. Yeah, I would I would be dead. But that is the Flatwoods monster. So cryptid, alien, hoax, or an owl. It's not a fucking owl. <laughs> People got to give the owls a goddamn break. It's never a fucking owl. (laughs) I will say, like, when you put it together and you're like, okay, well, it could have been that. Yeah, it does have the reflective eyes. Yeah, it does have the heart-shaped face and all. But then, I'm sorry, there's a difference in an owl. Owls at night, freaky. Like, I'd be like, oh, gosh. But that thing? (laughs) I'd be like, oh, God. (laughs) 
God, I'm lame. But there's a difference in thinking that I saw an alien-like creature and an owl. Although I could be wrong about an owl. I can't tell you the last time I saw a real owl. At the zoo. You're not wrong. Okay. But I feel like I could pick it out in a lineup. Have you ever seen a wet owl? No. Why do you love seeing all these wet animals? It's a, They pop up. <laughs> what do you search? Ew. <laughs> Y'all gotta Google wet. <laughs> I don't like it. Y'all gotta Google wet owl. The fuck you search? I don't even understand. <laughs> they just pull up for me. The universe just wants me to know these things. Because the last time it was like a wet bear. Oh no, a hairless bear. A hairless bear is what it that was. That yeah. is a whole new level of creepy. Yeah. <sighs> you might not believe in cryptids, but you sure know the weird shit about some animals. <laughs> You know, it's it's from TikTok videos, I think. They'll be like, have you ever seen like this animal look like this? I really think it's all TikTok. Tell me why I believe an alien more than I believe a cryptid. I have no idea. I can get way more on board with that. But a cryptid, I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> well, because some of them are like more like caricatures, I guess, you know? I guess. Or like more fantastical because it's like... Half man, half beast. Half man, half waste of my time. I'm just kidding. <laughs> y'all could have seen our face. I'm just kidding. Well, y'all let us know what y'all think. Cryptid, alien, just the chicken plant up the road. <laughs> and did y'all know that that serial killer was what Scream was based on? Thank y'all so much for listening and supporting us. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, all the things, and remember, creep it real and don't get scared.